hey, so I'm moving on. <laughs> not, no, I'm not leaving. I'm just moving on as far as what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, go ahead and put that. Uh, yeah. We're going to read this passage here in just a second. Actually, go ahead. Look at Luke 15, and then I'll actually get into an introduction. Luke 15. Starting with verse 29, it's a familiar story. It's an awesome story. We typically talk about the first part of it, but we're going to talk about the back part of it. Um, so anyway, Luke 15, verse 29, says, But he answered and said to his father, Look, Logan, do you mind turning down the AC, man? Thank you. It's right there next to the restroom. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. <laughs> but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that mine, all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was lost, hmm. but he, now he is found. Hmm. He was dead. He's begun now to live. Amen. Milton, you can just put the title slide up. I'm going to go a different route. So, so this was, this is the second half of the story of the prodigal son. And, and that's agitating to me because he's no longer a prodigal. He's a redeemed heir. And, and by the way, like why it bothers me, like the new has gone or the new has come, the old has gone. So in the kingdom of God, why do we refer to people what they were? Why don't we refer to them what they are right now. And anyway, that's a whole other thing. But so here's the story of the redeemed heir. And you know the story, or if you don't, I'm going to paraphrase real quick. But the son, he says, Dad, I'd like my inheritance. And the father, he essentially would have had to have sold a third of his estate to give to his son. The son takes it and he goes and he squanders it and he loses everything that he has. And he has this epiphany, this aha moment. And he's like, I really ought to just go back home because if I could live in my dad's house as one of his servants, then maybe I would eat better than I'm eating right now. Yeah. And so he goes home and he, I believe he rehearsed this conversation in his head, but he was going to say to his dad, and I don't know if you've ever rehearsed a conversation with someone before you've had it. I do it all the time. And I promise you, if we have a meeting together, I write down what I'm going to tell you. And if we have a phone call, I promise I have a script written out if it's a planned phone call. That way I say what I need to say because I forget. And so he rehearses this conversation and he goes home. And right before he, he, he's at the edge of the field or whatever, the father, every day, he went to the edge of the field and he was looking. And then he sees his son on the horizon, right? You know this story. The father takes off, which no dignified Middle Eastern man would have done. It would have humiliated himself. It would have caused a spectacle. Sometimes I think in the kingdom, you've got to be willing to cause a spectacle because it's worth it. It's like David said, I'll get even more undignified than this, right? So it's okay when that happens. So he runs across the field and he embraces him. And the son, he begins to tell him what he did wrong. But the father doesn't even do any, doesn't even listen to him, right? He's like, would you just hush? And he begins to kiss him. He throws a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on him. He basically restores him to the position from which he came from. And that's what the Lord does. He, he doesn't, it's, it's like this. We, we, we say stuff like this. And, and while I, there is common sense to this, it's not always how the kingdom operates. 
Common sense, when we mess up, we say there needs to be a process of restoration. Like, you've got to prove yourself worthy again. And while we do need that, when it comes to the Lord, if you've been away from Him, He doesn't make you jump through hoops to come back to Him. He just says, come back to me, right? And so He throws this big party, and this is where we pick us up. He throws this big party, and the elder brother, the elder brother says, like, what's going on, Right? <laughs> And he asked one of the serpents, what's going on? And, and, and right before we picked this passage up, the servant says, hey, you know, your brother came back. And it infuriated the elder brother. Infuriated him. That's where we read this at. He says again, verse 29, he says, look, for many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never even given me a young goat. Now, I, I, I'm assuming that a young goat would have been a really good prize. Like, if you give me a young goat, I'm probably going to be like, I wish they would not have given me that. But during this time, that was okay, right? And so he does this. He gets mad, and he throws a hissy fit. Essentially, what happens? I think this is a picture. Like, this is what I believe. What I believe. What we're going to talk about the next few weeks is the idea of inheritance. See, the younger son squandered it and got it back. The elder brother never realized that we understand inheritance is something you get when someone passes on. They give it to you. In the kingdom, we do have a heavenly inheritance. Like if we give our life to Jesus and submit ourselves to him, believe, you know, and, and do the stuff that we, we talk about a lot, that we will go to heaven. Like we, we understand that. We know that that's our inheritance. But what if we don't have to wait to go to heaven to receive our inheritance? See, this is what's going on in this passage is that the father says, look, you've always been with me. Verse 31, all that I have is yours. I believe I believe there are many people sitting in churches, and, and again, this isn't, I'm not browbeating anyone, I'm making an observation so that we can prove a point, because I don't want to lay guilt, shame, or condemnation on anyone, because that's not from the Lord. So, but I do believe there's lots of people sitting inside churches that we raise our heads and we say, this is how I fight my battles, right? We, we sing these songs, we say, you're good, and, and we say all these things about the Lord, and we don't realize that the promises of God are for us right here and right now, that that's actually our inheritance to enjoy right now we're on earth, not just when I go to heaven. Right. And actually, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's not in your screen. You can write this down. But 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many are the promises of God in Him, in Jesus, they are a yes and amen. amen. Therefore, through Him, He is our amen to the glory of God through us. For as many as the promises of God, they are a yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Which means that if it is a promise from God because of Jesus, it is a yes and amen for us here today. Conservatively, some of you heard me say this. Conservatively, there's 3,000 promises in the Bible. The highest uh, people say, or I say the highest people, not the highest people, but the highest estimates are 7,000. So between three and 7,000 promises are in the Word. And every one of them is a yes and amen through Jesus. I believe, I believe that if we would get rid of this elder brother mindset, that we would begin to realize just the, the promises that he has for us 
And if we would realize the promises that he has for us, that we would not live thinking, well, I don't know why they got blessed. I'd never get blessed. We say stuff like that all the time. It makes me sick. Why didn't anything ever good happen for me? They get all the breaks, right? Or, or yeah, it's just, oh, it's bad. You know, we say stuff like this. And the word tells us that they are a yes and amen through Christ Jesus. It's like Isaiah, what is it, Isaiah 54 says, by his stripes we are. Is that a promise? That's a declarative statement. I believe it's a promise. Now, sometimes, sometimes it takes our bodies a little while to catch up with what's happening in heaven. And I don't understand what happens immediately and why sometimes it happens instantaneously, but that's a promise. So I'm going to hang on to that because that's a yes and amen. So that means when I go to prayer, we'll be like, God, I met this man on the street today and he was limping and God, there's no limping in heaven. And so I'm going to pray right here, heaven on earth, would you come? All the promises are a yes and amen. So Jesus, would you move? I'm going to pray that with a boldness and with a confidence because he's good. And then actually the Bible tells us in Jeremiah that he watches over his word. He, he watches over his word to make sure it's fulfilled, which actually means that he waits with anticipation for his word to be prayed and released and declared by his people so that he can fulfill it. <laughs> That's crazy eyes, isn't it? <laughs> See, the problem is we live in anger. We live in jealousy, right? We live in, oh, woe is me, right? And I think we just fail to realize how much is available to us in Jesus. We have an inheritance that we will receive and that we do not have to wait for. He says, everything that, or verse 31, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. He said, you've always been with me. That phrase literally means you have always been with me. Think of it like this, July 15, 2007 is when I gave my life to Jesus. So the last 10 years, I've been walking with the Lord. He's been with me every step of the way, right? Father's saying there's never been a moment that we are not with him. And if that's the case, and I believe that it is, because of our identity as sons and daughters, we have privileges to everything that he has. And he said, when he says, all that is mine is yours, all means all. <laughs> I like looking at words. All actually means all. Imagine that. It means every kind. It means total. It means complete. It means whole. And so everything that is the Lord's, all is ours. And he's a God that loves us so much that he literally gives everything. Now, again, I'm not like, brand new pickup. That, that doesn't happen, right? But if it's in here... I'm going to take it to the bank. And I'm going to take it to the bank. Well, what if it takes a while? That's okay. I'm going to take it to the bank, right? That's like in Acts, where we talk about this one all the time. Uh, Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, go and wait in the city. Go and tarry until you receive power from on high. Go and tarry, go and wait, go get seated is what that word means. It means go sit down, wait. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I'm God. And then in Acts chapter one, it says that they were there. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, go and wait for a little while. And a little while turned into a 10-day prayer meeting. There isn't a little while about anything about 10-day prayer meeting. 
But he says, go wait for a little while, then you'll receive power from on high. And in Acts chapter 2, 3, the Spirit of God comes and arrests on them. And then 3,000 were added to their number. So when he says it, it's going to happen. All right. So here is, here is, here's the things we want to tackle tonight is first I want to just literally like, I, I feel like if we have an orphan mindset or an orphan mentality, the Lord's just going to sever that off tonight. Okay. <laughs> I'm more confident about it than you all are. That's okay. I know. I, I, I believe what's in here. It says, but he answered, said, look, for so many years, I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. Like this, like this sounds really snotty if you ask my opinion, right? It's like, I, I, for so many years, Dad, I've been serving you. I've never neglected a commandment you told me. And he left and he did this and he did that and he did the other. And you mean to tell me you're blessing him with a party? Why can't you do that for me? This is what he's saying in this story. He says, for so many years, which means for the duration of my life, I've been serving you. It actually means that I've been serving in a humble manner. It actually means that I've been serving as if I were a slave. It means that I've actually controlled by you. I have given my life to you for so many years, and I'm actually controlled by your thoughts and your desires. Now, I want you to understand this. This is the shift. There is a difference between doing things out of obligation and doing things because of love. Come on. Come on. Preach it. Some of y'all, you're married. Like, sometimes I do things because I know I need to because it makes my wife happy. I'm obligated. <laughs> but she knows the difference when I do something because I love her as opposed to I'm doing it because I feel obligated to. Guess which one makes her more happy? Promise you. An orphan mindset does things because you feel obligated. A son and a daughter does things because you love the Lord. And you understand that. All right. He says, I've never neglected, I've never disobeyed, I never let one of your commands pass by, I've never disregarded it. He said, I've, I've kept everything. See, not only has he given his life to his father, he's never disobeyed, he's kept all the rules. How many understand that you can keep all the rules and not know Jesus? See, there's a lot of, and again, I'm not being mean, I'm just telling you the truth, that there's a lot of people sitting in seats on Fridays or Sundays around the country that keep all the rules, that they show up, they stand up when they're told to sit, stand up, they sit down when they're told to sit down, they put a check in the offering plate, they say amen when they've learned to say amen, right? They, 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 they raise their hands when they're supposed to raise their hand. They do all these things. They do it right, but they do not know him personally. And they wonder and they get jealous and envious and bitter when the Lord moves on someone else's life. They think, why didn't God move in my life when we should be celebrating the fact that God moved in their life? Because when we celebrate them, actually when the Lord moves in someone else's life, it gives me permission to believe that he's going to do it in my life as well. So here's, it scares me to death. It scares the living daylights out of me because people have no idea who they are. They have no idea whose they are and they have no idea what's available to them as sons and daughters. Let me say this. The greatest 
inheritance that any of us will ever receive is the name son or daughter. Like the Lord's blessed, blessed my family. He's blessed us. I'm sure he's blessed you. The greatest gift that he ever gave me was that he called me son. That's it. That's the greatest gift he ever has given is that he called us son. Identity is the greatest inheritance. That's why Mark 14, Jesus says this, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When Jesus says, Abba, it's like you'll hear some of us, some of some of our people pray, they'll say, Papa. Yeah. Abba, the most literal translation, is Papa or Daddy. Like, and when I first started hearing people say that, I cringed. Because it's like, oh, where's the reverence? Well, there is a reverence to it. It implies great intimacy and affectionate respect. It's actually kids in this time, they were taught like, like there's a competition between parents. Like, like how many of y'all want, like, <laughs> let me say it like this. Like when you have a kid, you want them to say your name before your spouse's name. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I want to say dad before mama and, and I can't, I, you know, it's just... Because, you know, I wanted to be his favorite. <laughs> so these children, the very first words out of their mouth, because the way society was, were taught to say Abba, Papa, Daddy first because of the men, because of the role that they had in society. And so here's Jesus that they would not have addressed the Lord like this. And he says, Papa, Abba. Why could he do that? Because he recognized that he was a son. He understood that God is holy and he's other. And he's to be approached with fear and trembling, right? With reverence and all. But he's saying, Abba, Papa, take this cup from me. As sons and daughters, we can approach him. You may have had a deadbeat for a dad growing up. And I'm really sorry about that. But you have a father who sits on the throne of heaven that loves you, that actually paid a price for you or sent a son to pay a ransom for you because he loves you so very much. Hmm. The most important thing about us is who he says we are. Look, Mike, the most important thing about me isn't that I've written books. It isn't that I... I'm a pastor. It isn't that I'm a preacher. It isn't that I get to go do revivals. It isn't that we planted a church. It isn't that I'm a husband. It isn't that I'm a dad. Those things are amazing. The most important thing about me is who he says I am. And who am I? I am his son. I'm his beloved. That is the most important thing about me. That is the most important thing about you. It's not what we do. It's not what we accomplish. It's not what car we drive. It's not how much we have in the bank. It's, it's not how big our house is. It is who he says we are. And if we would come to the revelation of who he says we are, that you are a son and that you are a daughter and that he has good intentions for you, it will absolutely change your life. It's not about, listen, listen, Christianity is not about following a bunch of rules and regulations. Right. Yet, listen, listen, there's stuff that we're not going to do, right? 
I'm not going to walk up. I mean, there's some days where I'm like, oh, like the Lord really helps me. It's like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Like I struggle getting past that love is patient part sometimes, right? <laughs> Let's be for real. We would, it, it's not about do this and do this and do not do that, do not do that. It's, it's not about that. It's about I'm your son and I love you. And because I love you, I want to do what pleases you. Yes. Like it's not, it's not about being sin conscious, if that makes sense. Like some people are so scared of sinning that they don't even enjoy who they are in him. It's, it's about being son conscious. And, and, I say, and I say son and daughter, and I heard one of my favorite preachers, Todd White, says that like, like if ladies, you should be okay being called a son because it's in the Bible, and I'm going to be okay because one day I'm going to get picked up for a wedding. I mean, it's going to be all right, right? So anyway, it's all good. So, so here's, here's the deal, is that sometimes we get so sin conscious that we don't realize that we're a son. And I believe that if we would get son conscious, that we would actually enjoy what we do, and it wouldn't feel so rigid, it wouldn't feel so hurtful, it wouldn't feel so boring. And it'd be like, you're amazing, I woke up today and I'm your son, which makes no sense. You actually, like, he actually claims me as his boy. He claims you as his kid. That's amazing. The one that went, let there be light. And light was released out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second, right? The one that did that says, you're my son. You're my daughter. That's pretty amazing. If I was him, if I was him I'd be like, Michael. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know that kid. But no, that's not what he does. And if we would realize that, it, we wouldn't worry about, well, can I do this? Can I do this? I, I get asked those questions all the time, and they're really good questions, especially when people are checking out our church. Well, do you all believe this? Do you all believe that? Do you allow this? Do you allow that? And I understand what they're saying. But what I want to say is if you would fall in love with him, those things are inconsequential anyway. And the kingdom, by the way, oh, okay. When, when, when we give our life to him, by the way, when we give our life to him, he begins to transform us from the inside out. We talk about grace all the time. Grace is the love and the mercy of God. It enables us to live. It, it, it's this forgiveness. It's saying, I'm not going to hold this over your head. I, I love you right where you are. But it also empowers us to change, which means that I don't have to be stuck where I've been stuck my whole life because there's this supernatural empowerment behind it, which would mean if you're in here tonight and you're struggling with something, the Lord loves you right where you are, but he also loves you so much he does not desire to leave you the exact same the way that he found you. That's what grace is. Good grief. It's about knowing who we are. I can't stress that enough. I can't stress that enough. It's about knowing who you are. The first, I was telling Judy, the first, the first book I had published was four years ago in September. And it was called Identity Crisis. And the whole premise of the book was who God says you are. Because yeah. if we get that, changes everything, man. So who are you? <laughs> wait, wait, then that's a really important question, actually. Who are you? 
Like people ask that stuff all the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are we? Why are we here? Like I hear some weird music playing in the background right now as I say that. Like, like who are we, right? What, do I, what, what are we here for? Yeah. We say stuff. People want to know that. I want to say this. You're royalty. Not only are you a son or daughter, <laughs> I try to be PC. Not only are you a son or a daughter, but you're royalty. By the way, that's why in Luke 15, he threw the robe around and put the ring on his finger. You're signifying that, that you're, you're royalty. But anyway, 1 Peter 2.9 and... Uh, I'm just going to read it for you. You can turn there, please. 1 Peter 2.9, and, and this will be kind of where we camp out the last half of tonight. And then over the next few weeks, we'll start getting into what we actually receive. And the reason why we started with who we are, I don't think you can actually receive from God unless you understand who you are or who you are. All right. Your royalty. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I, I read this, every time I read this, I get wound up because he called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He didn't call you out of darkness. He didn't call you out of marvelous darkness into light. He called you out of darkness into light that's actually described as marvelous. <laughs> I love it. You're a chosen race. What's that mean? It means you're elected people. I'm a, now, we'll get hung up here because I just happen to believe the Lord desires to save everyone. And there's not a certain amount of people that's going to get saved. The Lord wants to save everyone. And so if we give our life to him and serve him and repent of our sins and follow him, you're, you're going to go be with him, okay? You don't have to worry about getting left behind or getting left out. That's garbage. This is your chosen race. He actually picked you. <laughs> you'd be, if, if God had a basketball team, you'd be his first pick. You're a royal priesthood, which means you actually live. Praise God. I'm sorry, like that, like there's, that, that just, you have no idea, it's, it's cool. There's this, uh, we actually sang the song, Fight My Battles, and there's this, it shows this church singing this song, the church that wrote it, and the people's worshiping, and they have children running back and forth, having fun while their parents are worshiping in the presence of God, and like that messes me up more than the words of the song do, so that's what I start thinking of right there, that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I forgot where I was. Your royal priesthood, thank you. Your royal priesthood. This is crazy. You actually live in the palace serving the king as a priest, making intercession and worship before God. So he says you're a royal priesthood, so you're royalty. You're not... You're not one of the indentured servants living off the land, hoping that the king comes by and blesses you. 
He says, no, you're my son. And you, you, you actually get to sit in the throne room with me. I, I just, that's mind boggling to me. Like if someone asks you who you are or what's your lineage, you, you just start, I'm royalty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm royalty. Tell them with a straight face. Because <laughs> you are. Because that's who he says you are. Well, what, what, out of what line? Well, the line of David, actually. <laughs> really? Who's that? Let me tell you. <laughs> you are royalty. Amen. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. You're a holy nation. It's an entire group of people that's been set apart by God. That's what his church is. You're God's own possession, which you've heard me say that the, the KJV or a New, King, New King James says you are a peculiar people. And I love that because I'm like, y'all, it's a bunch of weirdos. I can, I can call people weird and they, they don't even, not even allowed to get offended at me. <laughs> But it means that you're God's own possession. It actually, when it says that you're a peculiar people or you're God's own possession, it means you belong exclusively to God. That's the most literal translation in the Greek. So, so not only am I royal, I'm royalty, but I belong exclusively to him. Well, don't you belong to you know, your wife? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm giving my heart to her, but I belong exclusively to him. She's given her heart to me, but she belongs exclusively to him. That, I mean, that, think of that. Think of that. When you tell someone, who do you belong to? I belong exclusively to Yahweh. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And, and you're like, well, that's hard. Well, it is if you make it about do's and do nots. It's, it's, it's not hard if I love them. It's not hard if I love them. All right. Oh. You're chosen. As sons and daughters, you're chosen. You're royalty. You're holy. And you belong exclusively to him. So let me say this. Don't allow the devil to eat your lunch. Don't allow the devil to eat your lunch. The enemy will try to get you to feel worthless, to feel insignificant, to feel invisible, to feel unimportant. He will. He actually likes to pray where you're most, I say pray as in like pray, not pray. But he likes to pray where you're most vulnerable at. Right? And, and by the way, he's, he's not omniscient. He does, he's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He was a created being. He was an angel that fell from heaven or was a cast out of heaven. So it's, he's not God's opposite, right? He's, he's, not, he's not God's equal. It's not, it's not good and evil balanced out on a scale. It's good and it's him, right? Amen. And so the only thing he can do is this. You're like, well, he spoke about this. Well, chances are if he's speaking about something to you that's making you feel insignificant, right? Like I, I speak fluent Appalachian, and, and I used to get really nervous speaking in front of people. Sometimes my, I can't stand the sound of my voice, and when I talk, I, I can hear that chirp. Well, what is that? Well, that's insecurities that I had when I was growing up. He knows that. If you committed an egregious sin or you committed something when you were younger... The devil doesn't know that you're going to do that. The devil relies on the fact that you did that at one time and wants to convince you that what you did is who you are. And he wants to drag you back into where you were. That's what he does. It's like, I was addicted to this. I got set free. So what's the enemy going to do? He's going to try to convince you that you need what you used to need. Not because he knows that you're going to, because he thinks that he can convince you to go back to where he last found you at. So do not allow him to eat your lunch. 
I, I, I just believe this with all of my heart. That's so why we start doing these declarations. I think you just need to start saying the Word of God out loud. Yeah. Now, now if, you're, if you're an aisle five at Walmart, right, you may not need to go. You may not want to do like, I'm a chosen people. I'm a royal priesthood, right? I'm a, a peculiar person. Like the person getting the Cheerios may say, you, you sure are peculiar, right? <laughs> you may not need to do that. <laughs> but you may need to go, not today. It's just like Jesus did. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, right? When you get alone and you're in your car, you say, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm not sin waiting to happen. Because I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm actually the royal priesthood which means that I am royalty, I'm a king, I'm a prince in the kingdom of God, and I'm a priest, which means I get a minister before the Lord. There's nothing, there is nothing that separates me from God, right? That's scripture, by the way. I'm actually a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and I know that he works all things out together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God, I'm called according to your purposes, and I sure love you. So this right now, the devil's starting to speak to me and I know I am more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the, and the word of my testimony and I do not love my life so much as I'm going to shrink back from death, God. Which means that come hell or high water, I'm going to worship and I'm going to praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. And you start speaking those things out and it begins to shift things. The enemy, he is the accuser of the brethren. That is, that is revelation. Let's look here. It's mentioned several times. That, let me quote the verse right. Revelation 12.10 says, Therefore I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Say thrown down. He's been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. So right before this, you read this section in Revelation, the enemy, he is a giant dragon. <laughs> and it says he's been thrown down. And you've probably heard me say this. It's so amazing to me that in the Garden of Eden, the enemy was actually a snake. And then you get to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and he's a giant dragon. Well, who fed him? Wow. <laughs> who fed him? Oh, I'm not worthy of his love. I'm not worthy of his grace, and it just feeds his ego. He's the accuser of the brethren, which means that he informs and he brings to light things. So he's going to continue to inform and bring to light the things in your life that you have done wrong, that you have sinned. Oh, bless her heart. She's all right, I promise. So how do you fight the accusations? Real practical. Give me, give me four or five minutes right here. Real practical. How do you fight the accusations? Just like we said, we begin to declare the word of God over our life. And then right here. The last part of 1 Peter 2.9 says this. Let me just read the verse. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And right here. So that, why am I that stuff? So that you may proclaim, declare with your mouth, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. 
so that you may proclaim. It actually means so that you may report the excellencies, which means, I love the word excellencies. It means so that you may report the virtue, the wonders, the power, the goodness of God. <laughs> which means when an enemy starts to eat your lunch, just start to tell them how good the Lord is, how the Lord has been faithful. God, right now, the enemy's telling me that, that, that we're going to sink. But you have showed up time and time and time again. And I believe that you're going to do it again. You are good. You have good for me. You have good for my friend. You have good for my family. You are powerful. You are mighty. You are righteous, God. I love you, God. Start to declare his excellencies and his goodness. And by the way, maybe you're in a situation that you've never been through before, but you know your next door neighbor or the person sitting next to you in the church has. God, you showed up and sister or brother so-and-so life and did this. I bless you for that. And I believe, God, if you showed up for them, they're a son and they're a daughter. And I'm a son, God, or I'm a daughter. And if you did it for them, you could do it for me too, God. And you start to declare that. You start to decree that and start to believe that and watch the Lord begin to move. That's how you defeat him. <laughs> Love that, by the way, Revelation 12, 10, which says he was cast down. When he was cast down, I mean, he wasn't like, could you please go? <laughs> it means that he was like, oh, get out. I don't know if you've ever been thrown out of anywhere before, but <laughs> well. it's not a real pleasant experience. <laughs> that, was, that was BC, <laughs> before Christ. So he says he threw him down, he cast him out. So I'm done preaching. Sometimes, sometimes I don't know how to land, so we just stop. But, but, but the Lord wants to do something tonight. And, and I, we got time. I cut off so we wouldn't. We got time. And so th this is what I'd like to do.